0: okay here's a yeah just just a little hodgepodge of 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 different tidbits uh general sherman that's the name of a tree is the largest tree by volume and it's in sequoia National park It's two hundred and seventy five feet tall thirty six feet wide, and more than two thousand years old so that's 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 pretty impressive if you like uh deer more than people uh Of caribou outnumber humans 48 to 1 in Kobuk National Park in Alaska. Glacier National Park had over 80 glaciers 200 years ago, but there's currently only 24. So. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie.
1: And I'm Jeremy.
0: And we are the authors of Where Should We Camp Next?
1: And Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks.
0: This season, we are back with a brand new RV and brand new adventures.
1: Join us now as we cover the best campgrounds, the best rigs, the best food, and the best gear to bring with you when you go.
0: So pull up a chair and join us around the digital campfire.
1: This is the RV Atlas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the RV Atlas. Today, I'm incredibly excited to have back on the show our longtime correspondent and my good friend, Casita Dean May. Casita Dean has contributed so many great episodes to the RV Atlas over the years. He's done episodes on grilling. He's done episodes on egg campers. And of course, he's delivered great campground reviews from all over the country. But my favorite episodes, my absolute favorite episodes that Casita Dean has ever contributed to the RV Atlas community are the ones where he takes a deep dive into the history of some aspect of our camping culture or our park culture in this country. So Dean has done amazing episodes on the Civilian Conservation Corps, the National Forest Service, and the Army Corps of Engineers. And today he's back to give us a really, really fun episode on the pre or the prehistory and the origins of the National Park Service. And this is going to help us kick off a theme that's going to run through the 2023 season of the RV Atlas. Because we're releasing our book, Where Should We Camp Next? National Parks on April 4th, we decided to help celebrate that book. We're going to do about half of our episodes this year on national parks content. So this is that first episode we're doing to kind of kick that whole strand off of the RV Atlas podcast this season. Uh, I'm so excited to have Casita Dean back on the show. In this episode, he's going to get into the origins of the National Park Service, the early history of the National Park Service, and he's going to talk about the roles that key figures like Theodore Roosevelt, John Muir, um, Stephen Mather and others played in the forming of the National Park Service. And then at the end, he's going to end with some really cool fun facts about some of our most famous national parks. So, this is a, it's almost like a little ebook. And that's what I loved about those other episodes as well. It's like this is a whole education on our national parks. And I really hope that it enriches your visits to national parks this summer as you're traveling in your RVs. So we're going to come back in a second and welcome Casita Dean May onto the show. But before we do that, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Go RVing. GoRVing's website, goRVing.com, is packed with all of the information you need to get started and go RVing. Check out GoRVing's Get Started tab to find information from real RVers about buying an RV, renting an RV, finding a campground, and a comprehensive first timers toolkit. The Buying an RV section includes a complete guide to buying a new RV and tips for visiting national parks. The Renting an RV section explores your options for trying before buying the finding a campground section lets you search for campgrounds by state. The first timers toolkit is a robust set of blog posts and how to videos that will turn you into an expert RVer in no time at all. Go RVings get started tab is packed with the content you need to become a more experienced RVer and have fun doing it. And this is just a small sample of the content you will find there to find out more, head on over to go RVing dot com hello casita teen may and welcome to the rv atlas uh, i it, it makes me happy to see your smiling face welcome to the 2023 season of the rv atlas how you doing
0: i am doing great it's it's wonderful to be here uh it's so wonderful
1: to have you your episodes have enriched our lives uh the rv atlas community. And you put a lot of work into the, the research and into these show notes that you create. You know, these episodes that you do, like, I'm just sitting back here for the ride. I mean, these are your your episodes. So you're going to give us this really amazing history of the National Park Service. But um, just really quickly, you just got back from an RV trip, didn't you?
0: Yes, yes. We took our our, our March trip down to Tim's Ford State Park in South Central Tennessee had a great time we were gone for oh four or five nights and it was wonderful a little chilly but uh it was a great camping trip to start the season
1: excellent now is that one worthy of maybe getting a review at some point this year out of you
0: yeah i i think so because one of the big highlights is a few miles away is lynchburg which is the uh the the home of jack daniels distillery so there's there's quite a bit of things to to do in and around the area Oh, cool. Some of my best friends
1: live in Lynchburg. So, all right, So we'll get that on the books. But we have a robust episode today on sort of the origins of the National Park Service, sort of like the prehistory, because it didn't spring up overnight. And then some of the key moments in the formation of the National Park Service and some of the key moments in its history along the way. And then we'll end the show with some fun facts and we'll talk about the 10 most popular parks in the system. So give us a broad overview first, and then we'll get a little bit more microscopic and dive into the, the prehistory of the parks.
0: All right, so let's let's start with a, a quick overview here. So I'm going to start with a, a quote from Congress from 1916. Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled that hereby created in the Department of the Interior a service to be called the National Park Service. And that's the opening lines of what is called the Organic Act of 1916. And with that, the National Park Service was born. It was signed into a law by President Woodrow Wilson. And basically, the National Park Service was created to promote and regulate the use of national parks, monuments, and land reservations as managed by the Department of Interior. When it first got started, there were 37 parks and monuments. Now we have over 400 parks and monuments.
1: So it's it's grown substantially. And one one thing that's interesting too is we, you know when you think of the presidents that were involved, we all think of Theodore Roosevelt, but um there right. were other presidents that that played key key roles here as you just mentioned. I mean, Woodrow Wilson basically signed the National Park Service into law, officially made it an organization. So Let's let's get more. Let's kind of go back now. All right. So it was decades leading up to that moment. Correct. I mean, decades and decades of 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 different people playing some key roles in, in bringing us to that moment.
0: Right, right. This is one of those things that I, I think we've really done right as a as a as a country. And and oftentimes the National Park Service is referred to as America's greatest idea. But like you said, it took decades to get there. So let's do maybe a, a quick brief history here. So there's an American painter by the name of uh, George Caitlin that was traveling the American Plains, and in 1832, so that's a long time ago, came up with the idea of a a national park. And uh, a quote from him, a nation's park containing man and beast in all the wildness and freshness of their nature's beauty. So, and in that same year, in 1832, the Federal government designated Hot Springs as a national uh reservation uh by the second half of the eighteen hundreds we there was a big push to protect all these beautiful lands that we had and of course someone that probably most of us are familiar with is uh John Muir so John Muir, the naturalist uh basically started calling on the federal government to protect these scenic places and and these and these wonderful lands from uh, from uh too much exploitation and overdevelopment. In 1864, Congress uh, uh designated the Yo- uh, the Yosemite Valley as a very very important area, and at that time they actually turned Yosemite Valley over to California to be managed as a state park. So there's this uh, idea of, bit of, later,
1: of there was this idea of wanting to conserve, but the the mechanisms weren't in place. The National Park Service wasn't there yet, but you're seeing the government sort of get this idea that, well, we we need to protect this.
0: Yes, yes. And again, this was something that took decades and decades to get going. And uh, like many things in life and in human organizations, it takes Uh, people that are committed. It takes uh, sometimes just a handful of people to inspire others to do great things. In this case, not just John Muir, but John Muir and other people like him to really point out to the federal government what we needed to do to protect these lands.
1: And so Yosemite was not our first national park, uh, though it was the first, uh, it it was protected before Yellowstone by the government, just at there was no national park status at that point,
0: right? But it is interesting that the hot springs in uh, Arkansas was designated as a national reservation in 1832.
1: So I that's did, a... did, did you taught me something new there. I did not know that.
0: Yeah, so that that goes back a ways. So so, uh, so we get
1: started with Yosemite, but then everything starts to move with, with Yellowstone, and Yellowstone, you know, the birth of Yellowstone is our first national park. So give us some of that history of Yellowstone.
0: Okay, so now we're up to 1872, and in fact, speaking of other presidents that were involved in this process, you had uh, Ulysses Grant designated uh, uh, Yellowstone as the first national park in in 1872. Now, I, I would like to point out real quickly that uh, that there are some folks and some naturalists and folks that argue that that perhaps Bogd Khan Mountain National Park in Mongolia may have national park status as far back as 1778. But, you know, we'll acknowledge that. But for all practical purposes, we'll consider the the start of the National Park Service in terms of its first national park in 1872. And again, that far predates the creation of the National Park Service. But our first national park was Yellowstone in uh, 1872.
1: But let's back up a little bit, because in your notes, you have some great stuff. I mean, who were a couple of the key figures that brought Yellowstone into the national consciousness, as it were.
0: Okay, there was uh, there were, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ferdinand Hay- Hayden, worked with the uh, United States Geological Survey, and also worked with a photographer by the name of William Henry Jackson, and a painter by the name of Thomas Moran. And between their photographs and their paintings, it basically, once they did all that, took it back east and started showing all of these beautiful paintings and these beautiful uh, photogra- photographs, that really did a lot to enthrall the American public with the idea of these, these beautiful lands.
1: It's amazing to think, you know, we're in the internet era where you could see everything and, and there's very few places on the earth that people haven't been able to see through video. Americans had not seen the beauty of Yellowstone people had been coming back and telling stories about it and if you've been to Yellowstone you get this like if you think about grand prismatic springs and places like that and the grand canyon of the yellowstone it's when you describe it to someone it's like another planet and i think a lot of people were coming back telling crazy stories about yellowstone um and maybe that didn't catch the public uh the public's imagination as much but once there were Paintings, and once there were artists going there, once there were going photographs, uh everyone was like, Oh my god, this this place is absolutely unique. Right. So after um, you know, after Yellowstone it becomes our first national park, uh, where and do then, we go from and there? Then...
0: Right, and then things start to move a little more quickly after that. We end up with uh, Mackinac uh, National Park in 1875, Uh, and initially the United States Army had a presence on the island, but that became the the next national park. Then in 1890, both Sequoia and Yosemite became national parks. 1899, we ended up with Mount Rainier. In 1902, we had Crater Lake, and then in 1910, uh, Glacier became a uh, a national park. So the movement built up
1: a lot of momentum very quickly after Yellowstone, it's fair to say,
0: right? Uh, yes, yes. And again, I, I, I think... Uh, I get the impression that John Muir was pretty relentless with all of this, you know, which ended up, I think, and I've heard this story before, and uh, on, in fact, on some other podcast talking about camping in the national parks, but John Muir decided it would be a good idea to invite President Theodore Roosevelt to go on a camping trip with him. So basically, he invited uh, President uh, Roosevelt to to camp with him in Yosemite Valley. This was in 1903. They end up spending three days camping in Yosemite Valley. They spend hours sitting around a campfire uh, talking. And finally, you know, initially Yosemite was 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 a state park in California, but then it ends up under full federal control by 1906. And John Muir is often referred to as, as the father of the national parks. He was influenced by Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson. Also interesting with Muir, just so you, we're just on a little uh, uh, side trail here. He founded the Sierra Club in 1892 and served as uh, the Sierra Club's first president until uh, 1914. A couple things on John Muir. You you said he was
1: relentless. That's such an interesting word choice because I think a lot of conservationists are relentless because they feel like they have to move quickly to preserve before things are ruined or before things are built up. And, you know, conservation did start to happen really rapidly in the American West, where in the American East, it wasn't happening. And the American East was getting built up. You know, sometimes people wonder why there's only a couple major national parks in the East, because we weren't moving relentlessly to conserve that land. It got built up before we could conserve it. And a lot of people learned that lesson and then took that lesson into the west and said well we've we've got to move quickly or the West will become the East. you know it'll get built up too quickly for us right. to to um preserve it and you You said that um you know Muir wanted the national government to take over Yosemite right he did not want it to remain in the control of the state of California. is that correct
0: right and and just you know private interest in those types of things, so yes, he was he je- definitely wanted to see uh, federal control of that area and right. protection of the area.
1: Right, right. Uh, so that's like the most famous camping trip in American history, I think, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's a fun one to
1: hear stories about. I picture that iconic photo of the two of them together with that beautiful, beautiful backdrop. Right. Uh, So tell us about the Antiquities Act in 1906 as we're kind of moving forward here, and this whole thing is gaining lots of momentum.
0: Right. So just a little bit more prehistory here. So again, you have this Antiquities Act, and basically what it did is it granted the president the authority to set aside uh, historic landmarks on public lands and again uh president roosevelt took swift action once you know once this act was pa- passed and in 1906 devil's tower becomes the first national monument so that's i think is is interesting and between 1901 and 1909 uh, uh president roosevelt created five national parks often referred to as the uh the conservation president so And now, uh, but for up to this point, in terms of these national lands, we have the Department of War, we have the Department of Agriculture, and we have the Department of Interior trying to manage. And this this hodgepodge of all these multiple federal agencies wasn't always the most effective means in managing these lands. So as we get a little later into the uh, the 1900s, in 1914, we have a, a a wealthy businessman by the name of Stephen Mather, and uh, he basically wrote the Secretary of Interior about how poor some of the conditions were in these uh, uh, on these, these lands. So uh, uh, the Secretary of Interior sort of took him up and said, hey, if you're going to complain about it, why don't you come and work for the Department of Interior and see what we can do? So that's what Mather did. And Mather ended up with an assistant by the name of Horace Albright, and basically, it's their efforts that led to the development of the Organic Act in 1906 that created the, uh, the National Park Service. And Mather served as the first uh, director of the National Park Service. And then later after he stepped down, Horace Albright, his assistant, served as the second director of the National Park Service. And again, the National Park Service was created in 1916 as part of that Organics Act
1: it's so weird thinking of all of these national parks coming into existence with no national park service to to manage them right. to to guide them and it it seems like so pivotal that this organization was was created to to protect and to shepherd the development of of these parks otherwise could have gone in a very very different direction um also what strikes me about everything you're saying is this combination of, of contributions from public and private citizens. When um, you talk about John Muir and, and Theodore Roosevelt, and you talk about Stephen Mather as a, as a private citizen who then becomes a a public citizen leading the parks. And it seems like even today that um, that's what keeps our parks thriving is cooperation, communication, coordination between public citizens and and private citizens. Because there's so many volunteers and so many Nonprofits today, right, that help protect the parks.
0: Right, right. A huge volunteer effort.
1: All right. We are going to come back in a second, and we're going to talk about the early years of the National Park Service. Now that we talked about sort of the development of the early national parks and the key figures there, let's actually dive into NPS history. Uh, But before we do so, we have a sponsored message from our friends at CAMCO. CAMCO is one of our favorite companies in the outdoor recreation industry. For more than 50 years, they have remained a trusted North Carolina-based manufacturer specializing in innovative products for the RV, marine, outdoor living and outdoor recreation markets. You may know them best by their American-made Rhino sewer hoses, Taste Pure water filters, EvoFlex drinking water hoses, and TST toilet chemicals, but their lineup of products doesn't end there. Campco continues to deliver products that bridge the gap between you and your next adventure. From portable grills and campfires to ease lift hitches and power grip electrical adapters, they seem to be doing it all. There's a saying that if you own an RV, you are sure to own a Camco product or two. And it's true. This spring, we are stocking up our brand new RV with go-to Campco products like their collapsible laundry basket and their life is better at the campsite dishes and mugs. Head on over to CampcoOutdoors.com to check out all of the cool stuff that Campco makes and get 10% off your entire order with our discount code RVAtlas10. That's CampcoOutdoors.com and use discount code RVAtlas10 for 10% off your entire order today. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with Casita Dean May, and he's giving us an incredible episode on the origins of our national parks and the birth of our national park service. This is part of an ongoing series that Dean has been doing for several years now. He did episodes on the National Forest Service. He did episodes on the, um, the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, and an episode on the Army Corps of Engineers. I'll link to all of those episodes in the show notes because they're similar episodes in terms of giving you like a little bit of an education, an intro to those organizations. So, Dean, let's dive back in. Now we're the National Park Service has been born. Um, Let's talk through the early years of the National Park Service and some of the key dates, the key figures, the key moments. So you want to take us to 1916 and President Woodrow Wilson.
0: All right. So President Wilson in nineteen sixteen signs the uh, the Organic Act of of nineteen sixteen, and and basic creating the National Park Service. Already mentioned that that uh, Stephen Mather is the the first director, Horace Albright is uh, is the second director. And just a a quick quote uh, from, from the act here, that the purpose of the National Park Service is to conserve the scenery and natural historic objects and the wildlife therein and to provide for the enjoyment of the same in such manner and by such means as will leave them unimpaired for the enjoyment of future generations. So that's, that's what really, you know, that's what that was set aside to do. And, uh, a little later we have Franklin D. Roosevelt that further streamlined the National Park Service by consolidating all of the parks, all the monuments, all the cemeteries, all under the, uh, the NPS and, uh, Congress passed what is known as the Historic Sites Act of 1935, which gave the federal government uh, the ability to sort of protect and have status for these different types of of entities. And we'll talk about some of the different entities uh, a little later. Uh, We'll jump forward a few more decades. We have uh, President uh, Lyndon Johnson in 1964 signing the Wilderness Act into law. I thought this was interesting that he had the idea uh, he wanted to further this idea of uh, parks for the people and it had a philosophy with that wilderness act of actually in and, and Johnson did of wanting to make uh, parks more accessible, including in urban areas. So you know we think about national parks being in remote rural areas, but there's also national parks in in urban areas as well.
1: I think that I think that during President Obama's tenure as well that he added one or two um nps sites in in urban areas maybe more than one or two uh but it's interesting because it seems like maybe he was continuing that uh, tradition or philosophy started by lbj
0: right right i'm trying to remember the the arches in saint louis when it transitioned at some point it transitioned to a, a national its designation changed uh so yeah those types of things continue. Well, one
1: thing like, you know, part of why we we want to do all these national park episodes is because we're putting out our book, Where Should We Camp Next National Parks. And one of the major things we tried to communicate in that book was that there are so many different types of national park sites. You have to think beyond just national parks. Uh, most Americans right. just think of our big national parks, but there's na- and you're going to talk about all these later, but a lot of those other types of units are more in urban areas are closer to cities, and they actually do provide great opportunities for for r v vacations and r v travel though we might not might not think of them that way um, I have to ask you now before you move to nineteen seventy um in your research, did you feel like there was general buy in by the American public for all of this conservation all all of this uh these designations of these different parks it just seems like in today's day and age in 2023 that we can't agree on anything in in America uh, but i mean at least when you're looking at this at a glance it it feels like maybe americans did have a, a general sense of buy-in to the idea of conservation and creating all of these parks did, was there controversy along the way or pushback from the american public
0: oh, i guess and again it's this would be somewhat anecdotal to my Uh, you know, still pretty limited uh, research. And given, uh, you know, spent over three decades teaching human behavior at a university and still trying to figure it out, I think it's probably rare that we ever have 100% agreement on anything. And maybe, and that's definitely the case, maybe more so today than in the past. But yeah, I do do think that there was a general buy-in. Now, of course, you're going to have exceptions like, you know, Laura and I, now this is a state park, you know you go down to a place like uh Tim's Ford State Park but it could just as easy be easily be the Smoky Mountain National Park in which you had uh the federal government involved with that you had the Tennessee Valley Authority involved in you know creating dams and and things across the Tennessee Valley that resulted in state parks. But in the creation of those uh, national parks and state parks across our country, it also meant the displacement of of of, of communities and displacement of, of small rural towns that are now under, uh, you know, 100 feet of water of some lake or whatever the case may be. So I think any time that you're creating something this grand, that's for the, the public good. Uh, that's that's still up for debate. But I do uh, believe that there was a, a general support of this across, across the decades, but there's always going to be winners and losers.
1: Well, and that displacement issue was more profound in the East because we tried to create, you know, we created Great Smoky Mountains National Park. We created Shenandoah National Park after people had settled and were living there and had homes right. there. And I think that was part right. of the urgency in the West that I was alluding to before is like, let's conserve this before people start living here, because then it gets immensely complicated to to move people off land that they own for sure. All right. So right. take us to 1970.
0: Yeah. And there was uh, Congress passed something, uh, uh, an act the General Authorities Act. And I I like this quote here. And again, I think this goes back to showing the the support of national parks. And uh, again, this is Congress here, that the national park system, which began with the establishment of Yellowstone National Park in 1872, has since grown to include superlative natural, historic, and recreation areas in every region, and that it is the purpose of this act to include all such areas in the system. So, I mean, strong support of of the National Park Service.
1: And I think that today the National Park Service does, generally speaking, have s- strong support from the public. I think that whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that uh, most people love their their national parks. You don't hear too much complaining about it. Um, so bring us into the, the present day to some degree, uh, into more recent yeah. years. You had some other key dates that that were definitely more recent.
0: Yeah, and I did want to I did want to mention this uh, again because of the whole. You know, I said earlier there's always winners and losers. Well, in 1990 we passed the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And what that did is that required museums, including museums in the national parks, to return excavated remains to their cultural descendants. So I I think that's an important point to make, that in the process of doing things like the National Park Service there were, you know, folks that 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 lost in that as 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 well. Well, uh, yes,
1: and I should I should add on to what I've said in terms of conserving the West. You know, when you think about you know, things like Mount Rushmore, those lands certainly did belong to to someone, perhaps not a early American white settlers per se, but there are certainly people that feel like those lands were were taken from them in the West, and that's absolutely that's. Part of the history of our parks that we that we absolutely need to reckon with and talk about. And you know, when we went to Mount Rushmore, that was a, a major part of the experience for us and our family. Was kind of seeing that there are definitely multiple perspectives on um, on on the federal government uh, taking those lands and making them parks. Right, right,
0: and and really, to tell the truth, I think that that kind of covers. I think most of the this the, the big dates. However, I think you still have each president, each administration still doing, to, uh, continuing to do things. You know, there have been things that have been done with the National Park Service even since uh, President Biden has been uh, in office in terms of, you know, that there was a, a certain lands that were maybe decreased in size that under the Biden administration that's been increased. But I think the point that, you know, maybe that I'd like to close with in terms of the history is that you, you? You think about you know the creation of Yellowstone in 1872, and in many ways that was the start of a global movement. That you know today we live in a world in which over 100 countries have 1,200 uh, different national parks. Uh, so it's that it's just epic in a global movement.
1: I've never really looked at it that way. That it's a positive uh, American contribution to the global community uh this concept of of national parks. Right, right. It's a pretty great contribution, you know. I I think I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So now let's take a look at the NPS today. Give us some of the the details of of what this organization um resides over, what they govern over. Uh, what what is the NPS look like today?
0: Okay. I think a good place to start is let's take a look at the NPS's uh mission. So here's the uh the mission the National Park Service preserves unimpaired the natural and cultural resources and values of the National Park System for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of this and future generations. The Park Service cooperates with partners to extend the benefits of natural and cultural resource conservation and outdoor recreation throughout this country and the world. So That's the mission of the NPS, which is a pretty grand uh, uh, mission.
1: Well, the parks are grand, and uh, they deserve a grand mission, and they deserve an organization that has a grand vision for them. So uh, I I love that. That's terrific. So how many people visit the parks each year?
0: Golly, you're looking at... uh, most recent year that they have numbers on, 318 million people have uh, visited our, our national parks. And, uh, you know, you were talking about just volunteers. We have, you know, 300,000 people support the 20,000 employees of the National Park Service. So it is a, it's a, a big entity that is managed within the Department of the Interior. Uh And also just thinking about the National Park Service, what they do, if you take a look at their mission, it it does even have a little bit of of a balancing act for the National Park Service, because part of the goals of the National Park Service is to preserve the parks for the future, but also to make them accessible to the current public. So those aren't necessarily one in the same. So how do you make things accessible while at the same time preserving them for, for future generations? So that can be a, a a tough balancing act.
1: Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, and and like Zion comes to mind or Yosemite comes to mind, of the overcrowding issues in the parks because you you know the phrase that I hear used is we're loving some of our parks to death, and I think that's an incredibly Tricky balance because you want people to enjoy the parks and and you you want all kinds of people to enjoy the parks, but when too many people come and it's not managed in the right way, um, we can do damage. You know, and during the pandemic, there was there was a lot of issues like that where too many people were in the parks and, right. and damage was done. So, um, Godspeed to the National Park Service figuring that out. It's a it's a super tricky issue. Right, it is tough. All right, so tell us like how many units are there, the different designations. This is fascinating to me, and our, our book right, gets into yeah. this quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I think it's fun, too. Okay, so it started in 1916 with roughly three dozen units. Uh, uh, currently, we're looking at about 424 units covering 85 million acres in all 50 states including Washington D.C. and all US territories. So that's a that's a lot of units and a and a lot of land. So uh and you know we were talking about the different units. Actually there are 19 different categories of national park units and I've got a few here. This isn't all 19 of them, but Obviously, you've got national parks, and I won't give the numbers of of each of these. You have national historical parks. You have national historic sites, national monuments, national recreation areas, and then you also have national seashores, lakeshores, rivers, military parks, trails, and parkways. So there's a lot of a lot of units that are managed in different land types and different designations by the uh, National Park Service. What we discovered writing Where
1: Should We Camp Next National Parks is that in the east it seems like we have quite a variety of those different types of of those 19 designations. We don't have a lot of National parks in the East, but we do have our seashores, our lakeshores, our recreation areas, our military parks, Mm. our trails, our parkways. We have all those other designations, um, which was kind of an interesting discovery for me. I'm not saying they don't exist out West, but I think that the variety of designations perhaps is a bit more diverse in the East probably because there weren't these huge land masses to preserve and make national parks. So we created all these different little types of designations to preserve smaller places and urban places and things like that. All right, we're going to come back in a second and have a really fun uh, wrap up to the show. We're going to give you guys the 10 most visited national parks in the national park system. And the Casita Dean May has just some fun facts about some of our most famous national parks. But before we do that, we have a sponsored message from our friends at Yogi Bears, Jellystone Park, Camp Resorts. Our family has been staying at Jellystone Park locations for 12 years. There are more than 75 Jellystone Park locations across the United States and Canada, and each one is unique, but our kids love them all because each Jellystone Park location has fun attractions like pools, water slides, splash grounds, mini golf, laser tag, and jumping pillows. Plus, there are tons of activities all day and all night long, such as foam parties, dance parties, wagon rides tie-dye, and movie nights. They even have themed weekends like Chocolate Lover's Weekend, Christmas in July, and Halloween weekends in the fall. Of course we can't forget the fun of hanging out with Yogi Bear, Boo Boo and Cindy Bear. And at Jellystone Park, you can stay in your RV or enjoy one of their awesome glamping accommodations as many of their locations offer luxury cabins, yurts, covered wagons and more. Make Jellystone Park a part of your family's vacation in 2023 because it's not just a campground, it's a Jellystone Park. To learn more and to book your vacation today, visit Jellystone Park dot com. That's Jellystonepark.com. dot com. And please don't forget to tell Yogi Bear that Jeremy and Stephanie said hello. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are here with the amazing Casita Dean May, perhaps the only man in America who's more obsessed with camping <laughs> and RVing than I am. I mean, this, this guy just lives and breathes RVing and camping. He's the real deal. Um, so let's wrap it up with some fun stuff here. In your notes, you call this other tidbits um right, right so give us you know just give us a variety of kind of fun facts about the national parks to wrap things up
0: yeah it's just some things that i came across in terms of reading california has the most national parks with nine uh this one is impressive wrangle st elias national park in alaska has over 13 million acres uh so which is uh amazing uh And now let's take a look at the top 10 most visited national parks. And again, uh, once you get past number one, you know, kind of, and we'll do a quick rundown of the numbers, but number one is Great Smoky Mountain National Park at 14.2 million visitors annually. Almost triple. Number two, triple. Right. Then the next one is Zion at 5 million. Uh number 3 would be Yellowstone at 4.9, Grand Canyon at 4.5, Rocky Mountain at 4.4, Acadia at 4.1, Grand Teton 3.9 million, Yosemite 3.3, Indiana Dunes 3.2 million and then Glacier National Park at 3.1. So basically your top 10 parks, 9 of them get between 3 to 5 million visitors. But Great Smoky Mountain National Park gets over 14 million visitors, just to put all that into perspective.
1: A few things jump out. I mean, seeing that number for Zion is is mind-blowing, and I did not do incredibly well at geography in school. But when you talk about overcrowding in Zion, I mean, Zion's topping Yellowstone now in visitation. Yellowstone is massive. And just in terms of how much land it takes up, Zion is nowhere near as big, and yet it is getting the same number of people a little bit more than, than Yellowstone. Um, I hope things cool off a little in Zion, you know, like yeah. you pick some of these other parks to go to. Like I want, I look, I want to go back to Zion, but um, there's so many other great places to go to then the, for, for those that are new to the national park service and just really kind of learning about this. When I first saw the great Smokies number years ago, I was like, why is that the most visited national park? Like why are more people going there than Yellowstone and Glacier? Uh, but it's because it's a, a day's drive from New York, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Boston, right, parts of Florida. It's just there are densely populated parts of the country where you can drive in a day and get to Great Smoky Mountain National Park. It's just easier to get to. And there's a lot of people living around it in North Carolina and Tennessee, where you know Yellowstone's in Wyoming, which is one of the least populated states in the country, if not the least populated state in the country. Um Glad to see Indiana Dunes, man, working its way into the top 10. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, I think more people should go to Glacier, though. Glacier's, Glacier's amazing. Um, so some other fun facts about the parks.
0: Okay, here's a, yeah, just, just a little hodgepodge of, of, of different tidbits. Uh, General Sherman, that's the name of a tree, is the largest tree by volume, and it's in Sequoia National Park. It's 275 feet tall. 36 feet wide and more than 2,000 years old. So that's 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 pretty impressive. Uh, the hottest temperature ever recorded, a little bit of controversy here, uh, was in Death Valley National Park at Furnace Creek at 130 degrees in 2020. In the early early 1900s, supposedly 134 degrees, but there was a little bit of controversy on whether how accurate that was. So. We're going with 130 degrees in uh, 2020. Uh, Denali National Park has the highest point in uh, North America, with Denali topping out at 20,310 feet. And now, uh, a little shout out to Mammoth Cave National Park, which is just 40 miles north of here and that I hike in regularly. It has the longest mapped cave system in the world at 500 miles of, of, of cave. Trails and they're still mapping trails every year. They add more trails to uh, to Mammoth Cave, which uh, is impressive. Uh, If you like uh, deer more than people, uh, uh, caribou outnumber humans forty-eight to one in Kobuk National Park in Alaska, with over five hundred thousand caribou. And the national park is located north of the Arctic Circle, so uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, in in terms of you know we were talking about earlier is just so, you know preserving these lands and th- these things to see and you better see it while you can. Well maybe Glacier National Park had over eighty glaciers two hundred years ago, but there's currently only twenty four. So that's uh you know kind of kind of scary. Uh, Everglades National Park was founded in 1947. And was twice the size that it currently is due to development, uh just in terms of uh you know water being drained from the area and it just you know, you know becoming dry. So it's half the size that it was in uh 1947. And uh Yellowstone National Park has thousands of earthquakes every year due to seismic activity, but uh thank goodness uh ninety-nine percent of them are aren't felt by human beings. So-
1: Yellowstone is the weirdest weirdest national park in terms of everything that's going on underneath the surface. Uh, it it really, out of all the national parks I visited, I'm not even saying it's my favorite. It's the weirdest national park. It really does feel like you're visiting another planet when you, when you visit Yellowstone. Casita right. Dean May, I can't thank you enough. Now you, you've you done so many episodes for us, but this was part of this, this sort of series where you did the national forest service you did the Army Corps of Engineers, you did the C- Civilian Conservation Corps, and, and you gave us histories of all of those and sort of let us know what's going on with all of them currently. And now the, the National Park Service, and I, I can't thank you enough for these four amazing episodes. I don't know where we'll go from here uh, with this series, but, but out of those four, like which one did you enjoy researching the most and why?
0: I would like to point out that in many ways, I consider myself a novice with uh, the the national parks, particularly living, like you said, living in the east. And, you know, Laura and I have camped now for uh, going on seven years. We're in our seventh season. But because of work or family, we tend to go to places within about 300 miles of, of our house. So this is one of those things, being an avid camper, I love it, love the outdoors, love hiking. But I consider myself in many ways a novice when it comes to national parks. Now, we have gone to Great Smoky Mountain uh, National Park every year. This will be the first year that we will not go to uh, Great Smoky Mountain National Park because we're going to do the mountains of northeast Georgia uh, instead uh, for a family camping trip. So uh, I really enjoyed this episode because I'm so enthusiastic about my future and for Laura and I to be able to see all of these wonderful sites. But I would still like to always give a shout out to the Civilian Conservation Corps. And uh, because of all of the places that we've camped in the Midwest and uh, the South, you go into a state park, you go into a recreation area. It is amazing to see what we did as a country in the 1930s doing during some really, really difficult times. And, you know, we were talking earlier about people being behind the National Park Service. But what we did as a culture in the 1930s to help people and to also build infrastructure to me is inspiring. And I, you know, I really wish that we could do or that we could match or exceed that uh, today. So I'll always have a special spot for uh, the Civilian Conservation Corps because I was just amazed just in, again, being naive, going camping. And I, I always bump into something from the Civilian Conservation Corps. It just happens.
1: I'm doing a project right now. I'm researching a project right now, and I continually am bumping up uh, with the CCC and the contributions they made to to building cabins in this in the state park system. And you know, this is a hundred years ago now. We're approaching a hundred years ago, and you, you know, um, some of these have cabins and campgrounds have been maintained, and some are in a state of disrepair. And shame on us as a as a country and a culture if we can't. Um, you know, maintain those beautiful buildings and those beautiful campgrounds, and I, I think there is a lot of money being injected into those types of parks and those types of campgrounds through the Great American Outdoors Act. Um, but you know, some some state parks have really maintained those those buildings and those campgrounds, and others have sadly let them fall into disrepair. So we need to catch up because those are those are legacy contributions, and we want people to enjoy them for the next hundred years. It it is shocking. It is astonishing state park after state park after state park these gorgeous cabins that families are still renting and enjoying today these incredibly well designed campgrounds that people are still right. enjoying today um to to some degree better than modern campgrounds you know maybe they can't fit the big rigs as much uh but they they did it and they did it right and they did it fast didn't they
0: yes they did
1: well, Casita Dean-May, thank you so much for um, every episode you've ever done on the RV Atlas and hope to have you back again in 2023. We'll talk about that once we turn off the microphones. Um, great to see you and thank you so much for enriching our lives with these really educational episodes. I love doing them with you.
0: Well, I appreciate you letting me be a part of this. And like I said, this one was a lot of fun because this is part of my future is, is, is for Laura and I to explore these national parks even more.
1: So, last question of the show: what are your like top two or three national parks on your bucket list that you want to go to that you have not been to?
0: Oh my good, well, I don't I, Acadia, uh glacier. Uh, Laura is a huge fan of the Sequoias, so uh, Sequoia National Park, so that would probably be right off the top of my my head, uh, top three. All right,
1: Dean, thank you so much. We'll see you at the campground.
0: All right, take care. have a good day.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the RV Atlas.
0: To find out more about the topics discussed on this show, head on over to the rvatlas.com.
1: And to join the friendliest group of RVers, head on over to the RV Atlas group on Facebook and make sure to join us on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at the RV Atlas.
0: If you enjoy our show, please consider leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
1: And we will see you at the campground.
0: See at the campground.